his name. No? You wonder sometimes why God compares the Holy Spirit to wind. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, there we go. Okay. Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service now, so uh, let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we've come here today to be changed. As you look over our congregation here and each of us individually, see where... uh, We need to stir up the flames of fire of the Holy Spirit in each of us. Uh, In this society, we can become dull uh, to the work that you're trying to do, to the changes that you're trying to bring about in our lives. Help us to be alert. Help us to know what you're doing and help us to participate in it because we know it's for our good. So thank you, Lord. And uh, we ask you to speak to us through your scripture now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was reading an article lately, and it was kind of shocking. It said that the number of people in America who call themselves Christian is shrinking. From the year 2007 to the year 2014, the number of people who consider themselves to be Christian has dropped by 8 percentage points. Their religious affiliation, when they have to fill out forms, it used to be Christian, and now it's none, N-O-N-E, no religious affiliation. Of course, uh, the media headlines proclaim the death of Christianity, but not so fast. I want to talk a little bit about this today and uh, explain how that headline can be misleading. Uh, True, committed Christians are stronger than ever. But cultural or nominal Christians, nominal means in name only, cultural Christians or nominal Christians are giving up the pretense of their faith. That's what we see happening in our society today. True Christians are stronger than ever but what we call cultural Christians are throwing in the towel and giving up. This reminds me of a a scripture in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We should not be shocked or depressed or discouraged by, you know, such uh, articles. They are true, but let's understand what they're really all about. This is an important teaching of Jesus in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Of course, this is the section where it's entitled The Vine and the Branches. 
This is what uh, Jesus says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So this is what we see happening. This is something that God does on a regular basis to his church. It's a vine. And if he sees branches that are totally dead, he will cut them off because dead branches uh, inhibit the growth of, of a vine and God is the perfect gardener. And those who do produce fruit, those vines that are healthy, he prunes them so that they will be even more productive. So we've talked many times about how we go through trials because God is in the process of pruning us. He's teaching us more lessons. He's building more faith in us when we go through trials and endure them with his help. But these branches that he cuts off are branches that are not productive at all. I mean, they're dead, so he trims them off. And this is why we see the numbers of people who consider themselves to be Christians in this case, cultural Christians or nominal Christians, Christians in faith only, or Christians in name only, God cuts them off. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So we need to be connected to the vine, who is Jesus Christ, and connected very carefully and closely so that we can produce fruit and that we're spiritually alive. You know, the, the ice storm that we had earlier this year uh, destroyed a lot of branches on my trees in the yard. And uh, I've got, in big trees, dead branches hanging there. They're totally dead. Now, I'm kind of thankful for the windstorm today because hopefully it's going to blow some of those dead branches out of the tree so I won't have to get a big ladder and go up there and get them. Because it looks terrible to see a, a beautiful tree and dead, big dead limbs hanging in it. <clears throat> but those limbs are dead because they were broken off from the trunk of the tree. And so in a similar way, people who are broken off from Jesus Christ or not connected to him are literally going to be dead, spiritually speaking. He goes on to say in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, that's the key, this relationship with Jesus Christ that we nurture and make sure we participate in on a daily basis. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So when we see numbers of people who used to consider themselves to be Christians in our society, no longer wishing to do so, it is part of this process of God, the gardener, trimming his tree, cutting off dead branches, pruning the branches that are alive and producing so that they will produce more. Now, the title of this sermon is Cultural Christianity. And I want to uh, discuss a little bit why these people 
are no longer calling themselves Christians and why you know the numbers of overall Christianity is being reduced as God continues this policy of trimming the vine. It started back in the early years of the church, well, the early centuries of the church. Of course, we know that the church in Jesus' day was small in the book of Acts. Uh, it wasn't very big. We're talking about thousands of people, not more than that at that time. And it was a church that was not only small, but it was heavily persecuted. In fact, in the Roman world, it was outlawed. So Christians had to, li- uh, had to meet in secrecy and always be concerned about, uh, you know, attacks from the outside and from the powers that be. But if you remember your history, in the year 313, something happened. The Roman Emperor Constantine issued an edict that made Christianity legal. So from the time of Jesus to the year 313, the church was persecuted, but now all of a sudden it becomes legal. And furthermore, in the year 380 A.D., uh, Christianity became the state religion of the Roman Empire. Now that turned out to be a double-edged sword. It turned out to be a blessing, but at the same time, it turned out to be a curse on the church. How could that be? Well, it was a blessing because no longer was the church going to be persecuted. People could worship publicly and not have to worry about being arrested and thrown into jail. So that's the good part of this change in the Roman Empire. But there was also a negative side to it, too, that still exists to our day today. So the church had come a long way from a handful of disciples huddled in an upper room in Jerusalem. Powered by the Holy Spirit, the gospel had spread to all corners of the empire and to every level of Roman society. Christianity was no longer a fringe sect without a political voice whose members could be rounded up and tossed into the lions for the entertainment of the pagan masses. Over 300 years, the church had grown from a counterculture to mainstream culture, a reality that was reflected at that time in the Roman Empire. So becoming the dominant culture group within a society has its perks, like I said, it also comes with pitfalls. On the plus side for the early church, it was now free to worship for the first time without specter or persecution hanging over it. Christians could preach the gospel and publish the scriptures with no fear of government crackdown, but rather with government approval. The church was able to influence society more openly. It could promote justice and public morality and care for the poor and disenfranchised. But just as the church's impact on the culture grew, so too did the culture's impact on the church. Think about that. With their newfound privileged status, Christians began to shift their focus from service and sacrifice to such things as politics and power. The affluent materialism of the pagan Roman world started to seep in among the body of believers. The necessity of a new life in Christ marked by holy living faded from view. Instead, as members of the dominant cultural group, people simply assumed that they were Christians by default. These tendencies, both good and bad, have followed the church right up to the present. In our own Western civilization, the church was the dominant cultural force for centuries. 
As such, it was directly involved in the creation of things like hospitals, orphanages, universities. Those are good things. Christians were instrumental in the development of modern science as well as the arts. However, cultural Christianity has always had one fatal downside. It produced cultural Christians. This too has been born out of, in our Western societies. Whenever the church has been in a privileged position, it has produced people who consider themselves Christians simply by virtue of birth or heritage. In place of a vital union with Christ, such individuals view the faith as merely a system of morals within socially acceptable parameters. Consequently, whenever the church has attained political influence, it has invariably tried to enforce public morality and religious observance rather than fulfilling its mandate to change lives via the power of the gospel. Such efforts have never ended well, either for the church or for the culture. And the same condition exists today in the United States. Why are people no longer claiming to be Christians? Because they probably weren't in the first place. Christianity became a convenient thing to be a part of. You know, even going back to maybe the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, if you were a member of a church, a Christian church, that gave you a certain status in the community. You were respected. You were a churchgoer. So that gave you a certain amount of respect in the society. People thought of you as a good person. But times have changed. And if you're a member of a church, you no longer get that respect from the society around you because people don't care anymore. In their eyes, being a Christian is not that great of a thing. They focus on the hypocrisy they see sometimes in Christianity of all the things going on in the Catholic Church and all it takes is one preacher in a church, in a community to go bad or to steal money from the church or to have an affair with the church secretary. And that has pretty much destroyed respect for people who are Christians in our society today. You know, when you're in conversation with somebody and you happen to mention, oh, by the way, yeah, I'm a pastor of a church in Canfield. You know, years ago it used to be, well, wonderful, that, that's great, you know, I'm glad to hear it. And, and people, you know, they have a certain respect in their eyes for you. But nowadays, when you let people know that you're a pastor of a church, they kind of look at you with a slanted eye like, oh, okay, better keep my eye on that guy, <laughs> you know. Unfortunately, that is what has happened in our society today. People, now when they fill out a form and it says religious affiliation, they'd rather put none. Because in their mind, being a part of a, a religious group today can carry a negative connotation. That's how religion is viewed through the eyes of many people today. So, a cultural Christian is someone who is a Christian in, in name only, or somebody who uh, kind of grew into Christianity. In other words, if their parents were Christian, and they're a teenager, and somebody comes up to them and says, well, what religious affiliation are you? And, well, my parents were Christian, and they tried to get me to go to church occasionally. <laughs> I, I guess I'm a Christian. That's a cultural Christian, okay? Or a person who calls themselves a Christian 
to try to get influence, maybe through their business or, uh, you know, when they come to church, they can find a ready-made audience for their product and maybe they can uh, make some sales, you know, as they're a member of this church and kind of gain influence in it. That's a cultural Christian as opposed to a true Christian, a biblical Christian, who has come to a point in their life where they realize they're a sinner and that they need a Savior. And they've heard the gospel, and they come to God in humility and repentance and say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. And they begin studying God's Word, and they begin worshiping God on a regular basis, and they start fellowshipping with a Christian group and because they want to change, and they want to grow, and they want to kind of be the person that God is turn, turning them into. That's a biblical Christian. That, that's a true Christian. So what we see happening in our society today, and I'm focusing on America right now, we're seeing people who kind of considered themselves to be Christians and thought that they were Christians uh, because it's a good thing to be in society and because that's the way their parents tried to, to raise them. These people are losing touch with Christianity. Perhaps they never were in touch with it in a real way before. But this is where it's showing up in the statistics. Oh, you know, there's been an 8% drop in the people who consider themselves to be Christians. Like I said, the, the media wants to make big news of that and say, well, it looks like Christianity is dying. It's not dying. Real Christians are just as close to God as they've always been, and they're getting closer and closer to God, and they're, they're latched on to the, the vine, and they're an integral part of the vine. They're connected to the vine, and God's bringing about changes in their life. No, Christianity isn't dying. Real Christians are as strong as they've ever been. It's the cultural Christians that are losing touch. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. You know, biblical Christians understand that Christianity, real Christianity, is not the common way that most people are going in this world today. And Jesus pointed that out very clearly in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13. He explains that Christianity, the real Christianity, is a narrow door that few people go through. Jesus encourages us in Matthew 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So salvation is a narrow path, a rocky path, kind of a rugged path. It's the path to eternal life. It is open to everyone. You know, as, as it said a little bit earlier on in that chapter, Matthew 7, uh, verse 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. <laughs> it's available to everybody. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So real Christianity is not restrictive in that sense. It's not only open to a few people that God deems somehow worthy to be a Christian. No, it's open to everybody. What Jesus is saying, it's a difficult road to, go, to travel because it's going to cause changes in your life, you see. It, it takes effort to be a Christian, we're not saved by our efforts and, and by our works, 
but you're choosing a path that is going in many ways contrary to the ways of the world. He says, the, the way of the world is a broad, well-paved highway that's smooth and level and easy to travel, whereas Christianity and the road to eternal life is a rough, narrow path. And because of that, relatively few choose to go that way. And another thing to consider, that this road that we're called to travel, this narrow, rocky road, it requires a particular thing for entrance, faith in Jesus Christ. True faith in Jesus Christ. Life-changing faith in Jesus Christ. And this is another thing that tends to throw people off the path. That they have to look to someone as the Lord of their life. You know, as it says in uh, John 14, verse 6, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way for you to reach eternal life. He didn't say, well, there are many paths, and I'm one of them. He said, I am the way. So you're going to have to focus on him. You're going to have to believe on him. Not just that he lived. I mean, the, the Satan and his demons believe that. But you're going to have to believe that he has lordship over your life. Amen. And not too many people want to give up control of their lives and look to somebody as lord of their life. That's what causes this path to be a narrow path because it kind of, you know... A lot of people choose to get out of, out of, out of the, the narrow road. Remember how many times Jesus, in, in his preaching and talking to people, you know, uh, we were studying in our Bible study in the, the Gospel of John, and Jesus had just fed, fed a multitude, miraculously, uh, and he sensed that a lot of people were following him just to get free food. <laughs> so when he sensed that, he would tend to make outrageous True statements. He said to the crowd, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have life. And a lot of people from that time forward stopped following him <laughs> because they were kind of cultural Christians. They were following Jesus because of what they could get out of it. Okay? Almost like the health and wealth gospel. Hey, good things are happening. He's giving out free stuff. Let's follow him. Then all of a sudden, Jesus sensed their attitude and started making very strong comments and teachings. And it says many of those who followed him stopped following him. Because it wasn't comfortable anymore to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He was saying strong things and really making us think. And he's talking about changes needing to take place in our lives. And they said, well, I think I've had enough of that. I'm feeling uncomfortable with this. I'd rather get back to my old lifestyle where I really knew what was happening and I, you know, I could predict what was going to happen. So that's why the road to Christianity, the road to eternal life is narrow and relatively few go through it. A lot of people are offended in our society today when we teach, you know what, there's one way to salvation. What did it say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12? There's no other name, no other name by which man can be saved but Jesus Christ. That offends a lot of people. 
No, you need to be inclusive when you talk about, you know, heaven or uh, you talk about eternal life or anything like that. Because after all, can all these other religions be wrong? And, and can't salvation come through some of these other religions? Jesus said, I am the way. Not one of many ways. I am the way. So that narrows out the crowd quite a bit. So that's why cultural Christians are becoming more and more offended in America today. Because they don't like the teachings. You're coming across too strong. You know, you're, you're offensive in some of the things that you teach. Well, they would have said the same thing to Jesus Christ, and I'm sure they did. So Christianity tends to be offensive from time to time because it, it uh, rattles people's cages and ruffles people's uh, ruffles feathers. That's why you see kind of a gleaning taking place. Who are the people who are real, authentic, biblical Christians? And who are the people who have just been kind of cruising along with the crowd out of convenience sake? Well, times are changing, and we see God cutting off some dead branches. And yeah, He's pruning us too. He's pruning the, the living branches so that they'll produce more fruit. Following Jesus requires many things. It requires crucifying the flesh. It requires living by faith. It, it requires enduring trials with Christ-like patience. It requires living a lifestyle separate from the world. That's why the path is narrow and only few enter in. And people are coming to the point where they realize, do I really want to put forth that effort? And do I... I want to be open-minded. You know, I want to have a lot of options in my life. And Jesus says, no. You give me your priority. You follow the narrow road. When faced with a choice between a narrow, bumpy road and a wide, paved highway, most choose the easier road. And that has happened throughout history, and we still see it happening today. Human nature gravitates toward comfort and pleasure, doesn't it? When faced with the reality of denying themselves to follow Jesus, most people turn away. We had a sermon a couple weeks ago where we talked about the cost of following Jesus. Do you remember? Where there were three different individuals who came to Jesus and said, well, I want to be your disciple. And Jesus said some very strong things to them. He sensed what each of their hang-ups were. And he addressed that hang-up directly. And as far as we know, all three of those men turned and didn't follow Jesus anymore. That's when Jesus said to the man who said, well, I'd like to follow you, but first let me go home and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Wow, that's powerful. People are offended by that. How could Jesus say something like that? Didn't Jesus want this man to go back and bury his father? We discussed that in the sermon. Get a hold of the sermon the cost of following Jesus. It was powerful, a powerful passage. But Jesus is spelling it out. There's no room for cultural Christians in the body of Christ. And God is in the process of removing them. And they're dead branches. And God is the gardener, and that's why he's doing it. You know, Satan has paved the highway to hell, and it is a highway. It's the broad way that many people travel 
Satan has paved the highway to hell with fleshly temptations, with worldly attractions, with moral compromises. So that adds to the problem. <laughs> Not only is it an, e an easier path to follow, but you know what? It's a real fun path because there's a lot of fun things to do. Many people consider Christianity uh, tough. You've got to give up stuff. You've got to change yourself or let God change you. Most people allow their passions and desires to dictate the path that they follow. And that's true. It always has been throughout history, and it certainly is in America today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. A parable of Jesus Christ that we're very familiar with. Uh, but look at it now through the eyes of this concept of cultural Christianity. The people who wanted to or maybe thought that they might become disciples of Jesus, but then it didn't work out. Jesus tells the parable here of uh, the sower and the seed. Uh, I think that the, the, the proper understanding of this parable is that the sower is God the Father and the seed is Jesus. <laughs> so picture God the Father kind of making Jesus available as the gospel is preached. Knowledge of Jesus is being made available to the world. Okay? I think that's the proper way of doing it. It's not just the gospel that is being spread, but it's knowledge of Jesus. The opportunity to know Jesus and to uh, have a personal relationship with him. And certainly that's a part of the gospel, but uh, consider it that way. It says, after this, Luke 8, verse 1, Jesus traveled about from town to town preaching. Pick it up in verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now, we're looking at people who consider following Jesus, but, you know, the wide road is too appealing to them. Because they realize that the path to follow Jesus and the path to eternal life is a very narrow road. It's a rocky road, uh, kind of a twisted, difficult path. And this is an explanation of that. So consider all of these people where the seed fell on poor ground. These are cultural Christians. Whereas the last category, where the seed fell on good soil, those are the people who decided, no matter what the cost is, I'm going to repent and accept Jesus as my Savior and have Him Lord of my life. When he said this, he called out, Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. Verse 9, the disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Like I said, it could either be the gospel or Jesus himself. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes the 
word away from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. They're not truly convinced. They're not truly committed. Verse 13, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time, testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. All those things that Satan provides in the world are just too strong for them to put aside. And they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. They're the ones connected tightly to the branch of the vine. They're the branch and they're, they're in close communication, close relationship with Jesus. And they're being fed continually. The Holy Spirit, like the, the sap or the fluid flowing through the vine to the branches, they're connected. No matter what it costs, changes being made in their life, learning, going through trials with the patience of Jesus Christ. So there's a difference when people consider themselves to be Christian. And I'm not saying our job is to look out at Christians and judge whether they're truly Christians or not. That's God's business. God knows the heart. You know, we see the outward appearance. So you can see somebody in a car, and you know what? They got a crucifix hanging from their rearview mirror. They got a Jesus fish on the back, a bumper. You know, all the right decals. You know, all the, all the right stuff. God knows if they're truly a Christian, or if they're just for some reason trying to appear to be one. Because God knows the heart. Amen. And it's not until Jesus returns that it's truly going to be known. Who is who? Remember the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares? That there's wheat growing up in the field, and there's weeds growing up along with it. And the servants say to the master, well, you want us to go out there and pull up the weeds? And he says, no, wait till harvest time. And then, you know, we'll harvest the wheat, and the weeds will be thrown into the fire to be burned up. So through life, it's not our duty trying to determine who's, who's the real Christian and who's not. We're not called to be judgmental in that way. Of anything we need to be concerned about is ourselves. Amen. We need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves the question, wait a minute, am I a cultural Christian or am I a Bible Christian? Am I a true Christian in God's sight? The only person that we can judge is ourselves. And we need to be continually asking ourselves, what is our priority in life? Are we doing the right things in God's sight, the things that are pleasing to Him? Are we making ourselves available to Him? You know, is the Word of God really in us? Are we doing the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do? <laughs> now that we're saved by works, we're saved by grace. Is God's grace flowing through our lives and, and reaching out and affecting other people's lives in a positive, godly way? Or are we just Christians because, well, our parents were Christians? And I'm kind of along for the ride. <laughs> That's one of the problems we struggle with, with with young adults. Are you where you are now because you've always come to church with your parents? Or is your parents' God now your God? See, that has to happen. Nobody's along for the ride. You don't get into eternal life that way. 
It's you and God and your relationship with Him. Have you chosen to have Jesus Christ as your Lord? And are you living that way? Are you, are you responding to His leadership? The Holy Spirit's in you. Are you being nudged and, and, and you know, guided along by the Holy Spirit? And are you responding to that? Or do you kind of just fit in with the world and you feel comfortable with that? Because you like that wide road and the, and the broad paved highway that leads to destruction. Only we can answer for ourselves. And the Bible seems to show that sometime in the future people are going to be surprised. And they're going to say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we do this and didn't we do that? And Jesus is going to say, get rid of this guy. I never knew him. And some people are really going to be shocked and surprised. But God has called us to have confidence. We need to know where we stand in our relationship to God and Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 13, one final scripture here. 2 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 5. He doesn't say, okay, look around you and, and try to judge other people to see if they're, they're really with it spiritually. No, he says, examine yourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourself. Look in the mirror. Take a heart-to-heart inventory of where you stand with respect to God. Have you allowed other things to get in your way of God? Uh, like society has done? You know, is it politics? Is it sports? Is it, uh, what is it that has kind of taken you over? Because Christianity, we're called to live a life of sacrifice. We're, we're called to live a life of uh, preaching the gospel of studying God's Word, of fellowshipping with God's people, of uh, you know, taking every opportunity we have to make friends and not only teach the Gospel, but live it. Where do, where do you stand in regard to that? Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Make sure that you're not just a cultural Christian who's kind of hanging by a thread Or are you a biblical Christian, a true Christian, that is tied closely to the vine, Jesus Christ, and being nourished by Him, and being strengthened by Him, and being changed by Him on a daily basis? So examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And that's a sobering warning. But, you know, the good news is it's not too late. You know, for somebody who may be a cultural Christian and may, maybe has big doubts and feel that you're just burned out, you know, and more excited about what's happening in the world and the causes of the world more than to the job that God has called you to. So we all need to take a personal inventory we shouldn't be shocked when we read about the numbers of Christians as society counts them dropping. We saw that God is always in the process of cutting off dead branches. 
but we need to make sure we're not one of the dead branches. We need to make sure that we're one of the living branches, and we appreciate the fact that God prunes us from time to time because he wants us to produce more fruit. That's his goal for us. He's changing us into the very likeness of Jesus Christ himself. So we should not let anything get in the way of that process because that's to God's glory and that's something that pleases him greatly. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. And uh, we should understand that people becoming Christians and people growing as Christians is an ongoing process. You've called us to be part of it. We know that we're saved by your mercy, your grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ himself, your son. Help us to examine ourselves to make sure that we're not losing focus as your children. Our focus needs to be clearly on Jesus Christ. He is the, not only a way, he is the way to eternal life. And anything else is lesser in importance than our relationship with him. So Lord, search us, and if you see anything that should not be there, if you see anything that is hampering our spiritual growth in the way that you intend, make us aware of it, give us the strength to remove it, and just draw us closer to you in every way. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, thank you for your message today, and it's something that we can all take personally, and hopefully, Lord, through this all, come much closer to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.